Each of the topics that we've been discussing in this series um, are things that lend themselves towards spiritual growth. Things like prayer that we talked about in week one. Then two weeks ago, we looked at the topic of Bible reading. Last week, we looked at the topic of tithing or giving. Uh, and then uh, this morning, we're going to look at another uh, spiritual discipline or uh, holy habit. It's about serving. Serving. But before we get into our, the main text for this morning's message, which is going to be found in Ephesians 4, I want to make a statement that's going to kind of lay the foundation for what I want to share with you. And even though, because see, here's what we need to understand. Even though God doesn't need us, he chooses to use us. You've thought about that. God really doesn't need, he doesn't need anything. God is self-sufficient. See, theologically, God doesn't need anything. He's self-existent, he's self-sufficient, and self-sustaining. He exists totally on his own. But Luke tells us here in Acts 17.25, okay, he says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And that's true. But even though God doesn't need anything, including us, and this is what really cool is what's really cool, he chose to need us. Isn't that kind of interesting? Right? In other words, God doesn't need us to exist, but he decided to need us to coexist. So I'm going to give you a little backstory here before we get into that main passage, because I think this is important for us to understand. In Genesis 2, 19, it says, Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. See, that's why today we have an animal called the hippopotamus. We have Adam to blame for that, because you know God gave him that prerogative to do that. And you read on down a few verses that we see that after naming all the animals, the Bible tells us that there was not found a companion for Adam because, see, the animals, he made, he created two of each, right? So all the animals had companions, but it says, but there wasn't a companion for Adam, right? And remember, he was created, Adam was created in the image of God, yet it, it, it still says that he required, uh, desired a companion, just like each of the animals had a companion. So God caused a deep sleep, uh, to come upon Adam, and it says that when he woke up, the first thing he sees is this new creature. And he sees her and goes, whoa, man. Whoa, man, whoa. Okay, whatever. So, now, uh, <laughs> you're slow, but you're worth it. But he sees this He sees this new creature, and in, in chapter 3, uh, I can't remember what verse he says, he calls her Eve, okay? Now, uh, this is interesting. But that wasn't her real name. Did you know that? That wasn't her real name. We know that Adam called her Eve, but that wasn't her real You know what her real name was? Over in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, it says, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and named them Adam. It says that. He named them Adam. What's that all about? Well, I think it kind of goes back to that thing about marriage, where it says that the two shall become one. In God's eyes, that's how he views marriage, that, that becoming one, okay? Which ties into this idea of the husband and wife becoming one. Which, by the way, plug here for two weeks, we're going to be finishing up the Holy Habit series. Actually, Kyle's going to finish up the Holy Habit series next week. Uh, but uh, in two weeks, we're going to start a, a series, since we're in the month of February, we're going to be talking about love and marriage and That's right, I said it. It's out there. And my wife and I have kind of debated a little bit on this. 
as far as the ages for people. But but no, oh, seriously, seriously, I, I'm thinking, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, uh, middle school. You know, we're going to leave it up to you, but I'll, not the first message. But I'll, I'll remind you the second message. Look, it's going to be tasteful. It's going to be biblical. It's not going to be raunchy. You know why? You know why we tend to view sex as raunchy? It's because the church has failed to talk about it like it should. And so we have all this locker room interpretation and people's understanding of sex. But we're going to talk about that. Sex was God's idea. And it's a beautiful thing when it's done within the context of how God created it. But anyway, we're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks. right? But, but think about this. Back to my point. God could have named the animals, but he chose to let Adam do that. Isn't that interesting? He could have named them, right? But he chose to partner with Adam in the care and management of this earth. And the truth is found all throughout the Bible. We see this in, in uh, Ezekiel, in Old Testament. Remember the book of Ezekiel. I sought for one person to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so I wouldn't have to pour out my judgment. There, God chose to partner with man. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, and this is one of the most amazing statements found in the Bible, Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth, and it says that he couldn't do any miracles because of their unbelief. No, 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 God's God, he can do whatever he wants. No. Because he chose to partner with man, and man's faith, it says he could, it didn't say he wouldn't, he said he couldn't do any miracles. Right? doesn't say he would not, it says he could not. In other words, apparently, God has limited his unlimited power on this earth to partner with us. Okay? Now, if you want something to happen in your life right now, God has the power, but he's waiting on you to partner with him. Right? Now, with all that as a backdrop, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 8, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And then verses 11 and 12. And he is referring to Jesus here. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now, why did he give these gifts? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. Why did he equip the saints? For the work of service or ministry. Why do we need to do the work of the ministry? For the building up of the body of Christ. That's new, that's new American Standard uh, version right there. Now, but please note it says Jesus gave these gifts, but these are different than the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we talked about back in our series a while back on Holy Ghostbusters. Those gifts sometimes get lumped with these gifts that we just read about that Jesus gave the church. Right? A very simple, in fact, probably too simple description of spiritual gifts would be classified this way. The manifestation gifts... Mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And then you have the motivational gifts mentioned in Romans chapter 12, serving, hospitality, giving, exhortation, mercy, etc. And both of those would be considered a gift from the Holy Spirit. Okay, But there's another category of gifts called ministry gifts, and that's what we're talking about here that we just read about in Ephesians chapter 4. And these are gifts that Jesus gave us, gave the church. All right, But please note carefully, it doesn't say Jesus gave uh, some the gift of being an apostle. It says he gave apostles. All right, Just like he gave prophets. He gave some pastors and teachers. Now, I know this might sound nitpicky, but it's a huge point. Jesus doesn't give the gift of apostleship. Okay? Either someone is or isn't an apostle. And the reason I say that, and again, it might just be me, but the reason I say that is because I have actually heard uh, some people refer to themselves as an apostle. I'm, a, I'm an apostle. I remember when I was going to seminary at ORU, 
back in the day, Larry Lee. Dr. Larry Lee was the dean of the seminary. Uh, but they would introduce him as a, the Apostle Larry Lee. I'm like, you know, here's my, if someone's an apostle, you don't need to tell you. You'll know it. You don't need to give them that title. If someone isn't an apostle, you'll know it. Okay? Their works, their, their uh, good works will follow them. But that's just an aside there. Uh, you don't need to introduce someone like that. If someone's an apostle, if someone's a prophet, you're going to know. You don't need to give them that title. Okay? That's why I sometimes cringe. Because I still hear it. Not a lot, but I still hear it today. Oh, here is apostle so-and-so. And my first thought is, okay, well, maybe, maybe not. Right? If they're an apostle, all right, then that will be borne out. But according to Paul, if what he says here is true, and it is, then I, listen, I am a gift to you as a pastor. And you can't give me back. I'm non-returnable, right? Now, that, that might sound arrogant. I didn't mean for it to sound arrogant. But please understand, even though I'm a gift to you, I'm not all that important. I'm really not. I'm not all that important. We know this because of a word that Paul uses four times in this passage. Four different times Paul uses this word, some. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some. You know why he uses that word some? Because we don't need that many of them. That's not what, that's not the secret sauce of the church. You know what the secret sauce of the church is? That's what we're going to talk about. Exactly. Mike, we're going to talk about the secret sauce of the church, right? These gifts in verse 11 aren't as important as the one that he's about to mention in verse 12. For the equipping of the who? Saints. For the equipping of the saints. Now that can sound kind of intimidating, but let me tell you who a saint is. You know who a saint is? I'm looking at a bunch of saints right now. If you're born again, you're a saint. right? And if you grew up in a Catholic church... You might have a hard time connecting those dots because you say, now wait a minute, we think of St. Peter, you know, St. Thomas and all these others. No, no, no. According to the Bible, if you're born again, you're a saint in God's eyes, right? You are a saint. In fact, uh, many Bible scholars actually say the more accurate translation uh, of this would be, and, and that last one, you know, teaching shepherds or, or, or pastors, and, you know, that would be like the fifth gift, gift mentioned. But really, the fifth gift is saints, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teaching shepherds, and saints, right? That makes up the fivefold ministry. So don't let that word intimidate you. You know, a saint uh, is just uh, someone who has uh, made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. That's what a saint is, right? So for practical application here, I've got a question for you. Who does the work of the ministry, according to Paul? The saints. My job, as one of those other gifts, is to help equip you, but you guys do the work of the ministry, right? Now, as a pastor or a teaching shepherd, Paul says that I am to equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. But that doesn't mean that I don't do any ministry. It just means that I have double duty. Because I serve in the capacity of a teaching shepherd, but see, to equip you, but I also do the work of the ministry, just like you guys do. We're going to talk more about that as we get through this message here. See, I serve people in different, various capacities. I greet people on Sunday mornings. I help out uh, uh, the kitchen ladies by pulling the stuff out of the freezer, you know, doing doing my part. And you know, I taste it to make sure it's you know safe for consumption. I, I do my part, you know, right? I take the bullet there. I help out in these different areas. Now, as far as the nursery, I make sure that the uh, Glade uh, 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 spray, uh, aromas, you know, spray. I, I make sure that that's you know. Filled, 
right? You got to have that in the nursery, right? I, I don't change the diapers because I, you know God. I'm, I'm kind of like God. God says, "I'm the Lord thy God; I change not." So that's why I don't change diapers, and that's my story. But see, I, I I do I serve double duty. I'm as a teaching shepherd, I help equip you, but I also do some of these other things that the saints do. Okay, so um, I, I just want, I want to make. I, I'm trying to help you kind of understand this because I think for the longest time people have kind of viewed the church as, you know, the pastor up here does the preaching and he does all that ministry stuff, you know, and then and then you guys, you know, just kind of go your way. You know, come in here and hear, listen to my sermons and, you know, that was good or, man, that stunk, you know, or whatever. But no, th- th- this is this is like a totally different paradigm shift that I want, that I think is important that we understand. Here, what Paul says, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry, Okay. Which poses the question, how can we be equipped? How can we be equipped? I'm going to give you three ways that you can be equipped to do what God's called you to do. All of you. Okay? All of you to do. Number one, be available. The first step to being equipped is you just got to make yourself available. I know it sounds trite and it's probably been overused in the church, but I'm going to say it because it's true. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. That's all he's looking for. He can make us able. What he needs is our availability. One preacher put it this way. It's the water that nourishes the people, not the hose. See? 2 Timothy 2.2 And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, Paul, who's, who's mentoring his, this young protege, Timothy here, right? he says, now look, when you're looking for people to help you in the work of spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus... And, and doing the work of the ministry, you need to look for a couple of traits, okay? You need to look for those who are faithful, okay? And those who are able, or the better translation would be available, right? See, sadly, the church has gotten this backwards because most churches and pastors, myself included, I've been guilty of this, when I'm looking for volunteers, the first criteria I usually look for is able people. Right? Those who have the ability. And then I hope they'll be faithful. And according to Paul, no, no, no. You find a faithful person. A faithful person is not a perfect person. Here's how Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, weighed in on this topic. Proverbs 24, 16. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. Please note, he didn't say a righteous man never falls, right? That would be a perfect man. And there's only been one perfect man in all of history, the Lord. The point being, faithfulness is not de- defined by whether or not we fall. Faithfulness is defined by whether or not we get back up after we fall. Right? Now, let's go back to Ephesians 4 to see why we should be available to be equipped. Verses 14 and 15. So that. We may no longer be children, little translation, so we can grow up, mature spiritually, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, one translation says trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is head into Christ, is the head into Christ. In other words, Paul tells us that one of the main reasons for our spiritual immaturity, now watch this, One of the main reasons for our spiritual immaturity, according to Paul, and you're probably not going to like this, but it's in the Bible, so we need to read it. One of the primary reasons for our lack of spiritual growth is because we have never made ourselves available 
to be equipped. Right? And please note how he defines spiritual maturity here. Speaking the truth in love. See that? That's how he defines spiritual maturity. Speak, if, you're, if you're a mature Christian, then you should be speaking the truth in love. Now let me drill down a little bit on this because I think it's more prevalent than we might realize. It, it pains me when I see Christians post things on social media that, in spite of what the intent was, came across as judgmental and condemning. Now, I, I know the pushback here. I, I also know how people have justified it. And usually, not always, but usually the way they've justified it is by appealing to this statement that Paul uses here about speaking the truth. In the, they need to hear the truth, right? And that would be correct. People do need to hear the truth. But sometimes I wonder if we forget the second part of that verse, in love. In love. But then again, when Jesus' followers get their theology from social media, Let me say that again. When Jesus, when Christians get their theology from social media, so I think sometimes we read something on, on the internet and it, it sounds so articulate that, and, you know, and, and, and neat and packaged that, well, that must be true. And so now we're raising a generations of, a generation of people who know just enough about the Bible to make them dangerous. But they haven't gone to the source. They're reading this stuff on social media. Right? I think, honestly, I really think Satan and the demons are getting a kick out of what we're seeing going on on social media sometimes. I really do. And you think about it, and it's like, it is so senseless. And yet people get caught up in it. I've said that people, you're not going to change anyone's mind on Facebook or Instagram. You're not going to change anyone's mind. Don't even go there. You know, I have yet to see the person post, you know what, you're right, I was wrong. Have you? I, I have never seen that. So just don't go there. Okay? Just don't go there. I'll get off my soapbox now. The point being, we need to be equipped. But before we're equipped, we need to make ourselves available to be equipped. And here at Family Church, two ways that you can make yourselves available to be equipped are, number one, attending the next class. It's going to be right after this message. And we're going to be offering this once a month, by the way. Okay? My goal is that everyone, whether you've been going here a long time or not, my goal is that everyone would attend this class that we're going to be offering once a month. Uh, but if you want to become a member, it is required that you that you have to attend this, all right? So, um, again, like Kyle said, you can register on the website. Uh, if you can't make it this Sunday, that's fine. Uh, but we are going to try and offer, be offering this once a month. Another way that you can be equipped is by jumping in on some of the growth groups that we're going to be starting here a week from Wednesday that, that Kyle talked about as well. And I'm excited about this next study. We're going to be doing Francis Chan, Crazy Love. Uh, the men actually did it a few years ago, uh, but it, it's really it's really a, a good study. You, you won't you won't be disappointed. Okay, so uh, one way you can posture yourself to be equipped to do what God's called you to do is to be available. All right. Uh, second, be a servant. Just be a servant. Now, the amazing thing about this is apparently God views this word totally different than we do. Historically, the word servant, not just in our culture, but pretty much every culture and society that's ever existed, has been viewed as something that at best undesirable and at worst demeaning. At worst demeaning and, and less than or a humiliating position. Which makes what the Bible says about it and what Jesus said about it even more perplexing. Let me explain. See, the church has always sort of viewed the position of apostle as the highest ranking of all the ministry gifts, right? Maybe because it's the first in those ministry gifts that we talked about that Jesus gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. So I think 
the church has historically, traditionally viewed apostles. Man, they're an apostle, so they're, you know, they're way up there, right? But notice how Paul, Apostle Paul, okay, introduces himself in his letter to the Christians at Rome. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a what? Servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Philippians 1, 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. You see the pattern there? You see a pattern? Right? In each instance, they reference their role as a servant before their role as an apostle. These guys who wrote letters that made it to the bestseller of all time, made it into this book, first referred to themselves as servants before apostles. Isn't that interesting? I thought it was interesting. Now, if you're struggling to wrap your mind around this, you're in good company because the disciples had the same struggle. We know that because of the number of times Jesus tried to explain this truth to them. In Mark 9, 33 to 36, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was, uh, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and what? Servant of all. Matthew 20, 26 to 28. Here the disciples were engaged in a discussion about who would be great in the kingdom of God. And here's how Jesus answered the question. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave or servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And then almost as a last resort, after three plus years of trying to explain to them this truth about how he came to serve and how if you wanted to be exalted... You lower yourself as a servant. After three years of trying to to explain it to him, he finally demonstrates it to them in a very, very powerful way. At the Last Supper in the upper room. Remember what he did? He got up at some point, took his outer robe off, went and got a towel, wrapped it around him, went and got a basin of water, and went around and began to wash the disciples' feet. And folks, I'm telling you, that was a paradigm shift for the disciples. In fact, Peter pushed, he said, no, 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 you ain't going to wash my feet. And then when Jesus explained to him why, then Peter flip-flopped the opposite way. Oh, well, in that case, pour the whole thing on me. You see that, though. He finally had to demonstrate it to him. Right? Now, I want to pause here to address something about serving that sometimes prevents us from making ourselves available to be equipped. And it's the mindset that makes excuses for our lack of serving. Okay? And one of the most common excuses is that's not my gifting. Well, Pastor, I, I would, I would help back there with kids, but you know, that's not my gifting. You know, that, that God didn't gift me for that. Alright? Look, I, I want you to understand something. You might end up serving in a capacity that will not be your ultimate place of serving. In other words, God might have you do something for a while, just temporarily, before He moves you into another area that maybe you might feel more comfortable with. But he's not looking for he's not looking for ability, he's looking for availability. And that's what we need to understand here. Right? You know, there was uh well, 
verse 16, Ephesians 4. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up and up. In other words, Paul's saying that the body, the church, grows when everyone, the whole body, okay, is doing their part. So question, question, are you doing your part? Are you doing your part? Because according to the Bible, that's how we grow. That's how we grow. As a church, corporately, yet numerically, yes, but also spiritually, that's how we grow. Since we make up the church, we are the church. Okay? And then it's, and then it says, held together by every joint. Now that's referring to unity. You know, how, how we need to stick together to make sure that there's no cracks in the armor, so to speak. Alright? A joint is where two, two parts come together. So based on what the Bible says here, the best way, listen, the best way to help this church is by joining with someone else and doing the work of the ministry. Alright? Not doing your own thing, but being willing to make yourself available to be equipped so you can do that what, do what God's called you to do in this church family. And here's how Paul put it in a letter that he wrote to some Jesus followers in an ancient city called Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 14 to 16. For the body, talking about the church, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Verses 17 to 20. If the whole body were an eye, boy, that'd be a strange looking person, wouldn't it? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verses 21 to 23. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. 24 and 25. Which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, I want to use an Old Testament illustration to, to try and maybe explain what Paul's saying there. Now, think about, think about Noah's Ark. Okay, think about the boards on Noah's Ark. Okay? Uh, now, say, you know, God helped him put that together, but Noah and his sons built that ark. Right? And those boards, I'm sure, had joints where they had to put them together, and then they used tar or whatever, you know, to kind of seal those joints. Right? So, think about this. The Bible actually tells us that it's that uh, it's the members we can't see that are the most important, and that's right. Now, as far as the, how this looks in the context of the local church, it's sort of like this: every Sunday morning, I stand up here, right, and then so I'm kind of I'm, I see, everyone sees me. I'm the most visible one because I preach the message, right? Which which would would you know kind of sort of seem like I would be the most important component of what we do here on Sunday mornings, but actually that's not the case at all. Because if we didn't have the people back there doing what they do, it wouldn't matter what I did up here. You wouldn't be able to hear me. Because the kids would be in here screaming and crying. You see what I'm saying? 
even though I'm up here, I, I'm really probably the least important. But because I'm the visible one, just go back to the, the Noah's Ark example, right? Let's go, let's go back to Noah's Ark. Let's say that, you know, let's say one day, you know, the ark's floating in the water. You know, the rains come, you know, and they're floating in the water. And one day, one board says, you know, I don't like being down here. I think uh, all the action's happening up on top on deck. I think I'm just going to get out of the top there and see what's going on so I can see what's happening. So the board just pulls itself away and goes up on deck. What would happen to that ark? It wouldn't take long. I mean, yeah, it would eventually sink, right? And all the other boys, hey, what are you doing? We need you back down here, right? So it's those members that we can't see that are the most important. But we all work together. This is something we all do together, right? So how do we equip ourselves? First, be available. Second, be a servant. Just be a servant. Find some place to serve in the church and be faithful serving in that capacity. And then third, be a minister. Be available, be a servant, and be a minister. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Look carefully at this next statement. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers? One translation says, able. who has made us able ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is the verse that God actually used to call me into the ministry. I think I shared this story before. I was at Christ for the Nations my second year, and I was in a class, and I was sitting to, next to my friend Mike McMenemy, and uh, it was a kind of interesting dynamic because we didn't even, the regular professor didn't even teach that day. We had a guest missionary that came to speak to that class. I think it was the, the Book of Romans was the title. It was a, over the Book of Romans was the class. But there was a missionary that happened to be back in Dallas and you know had ties to the school I was at. So they, the teacher knew him, so he had to come and share. So, you know, we're sitting out there uh, recognizing I'm not going to have to take notes, you know, since the teacher's not going to lecture, we're going to hear this missionary. So, yeah, I'm sitting there, you know, just kind of halfway listening and, and you know, just kind of, you know. And, and at one point, the, the, the missionary, he, he referenced this verse, and, and I, I don't even remember the context. All I remember is when he said, and God has made you an able minister. And he looked right at me. He was looking right at me when he said that. And I kid you not, it was almost like an arrow. Not literally, but it was almost like, shoot, right into me when he said that. I mean, it, it was like a supernatural thing. It really was. I'm not weird. I'm just saying. Seriously, it was like, God has made you. And he was looking right at me. And, and, and my heart started pounding. And it's like, man, something. something. So, so I'm sitting next to Mike, you know, and, and, and so I said, And he's like, oh yeah, well cool, you know, and then he just kept. <laughs> so that's how I know it was to me, but, but, but that's what it's talking about there. That, that God, and now at that time I didn't know what that meant, you know, over the next few months I kind of dialed that in, and, and, you know, one, a few weeks later, uh, Otis and Francis, who used to be the pastor here, came down to Christ for the Nations, because one of their sons was down there, and we were out to lunch, and, uh, he said, you know, the, we were, you know, been pastoring that church in Wellsville, and God's been blessing and it's growing. Uh, was one of maybe, would you and Sue like to come up and, and be youth pastors? So that's kind of how, but at the time, I didn't know what it meant, because I thought, at the first, at first I was excited, it's like, man, I don't want to be a preacher. God has made us able ministers, right? Every single one of us. But again, we hear that word, and, and, and we kind of think that, well, that's, you know, you have to be called to do that. No, you don't. 
If you're a Jesus follower, you're called. In almost 40 years of public ministry, there's a term I've heard tossed around quite a bit that I think has undermined the work of the ministry. It's actually a phrase describing ministry, and it's this full-time ministry. Full-time ministry. A more accurate term would be, in my opinion, would be vocational ministers. See, I'm in vocational ministry, but I would hope every single one of you are in full-time ministry. You understand what I'm saying? I don't like that phrase, full-time ministry. I'm in vocational ministry. But every single one of you should be. And if you're a Jesus follower, you, you are in. Let me tell you, you are in full-time ministry whether you realize it or not. The question is, are you doing what God's called you to do? Right? I would hope that each day you would be in full-time ministry. In this sense, you would be willing to reach out to, pray for, speak, speak life into someone that, that you know, you know, whether that's your neighbor, whether you're checking out at Walmart or a price chopper or whatever. That you would make yourselves available if God wanted to use you to speak into someone's life. As a vocational minister, my job is not to do the work of the ministry. It's to help equip you so that you can do the work of the ministry. See, you know, you know how God reaches people in the medical field? I'll tell you. He takes people uh, he, he takes full-time ministers like Zach and Jessica and he puts them in these jobs. Right? But, but see, God, look, God's own, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can take care of you without that. You know how God views your jobs as a mission field. And that's how we need to view that. And then you'll begin to wrap your mind around this full-time ministers thing, right? So, God takes people, he takes full-time ministers like Jessica and Zach, and he disguises them as, as an audiologist or, or, or a CRNA or whatever, right? You, you know, you know how, you know how people, uh, you know how God reaches people in the real estate field? He takes ministers like Sarah Clam and disguises them as a realtor. You know how God reaches people in the railroad? In the railroad yard? He takes full-time ministers like Josiah and disguises them as a railroad yard worker. See how this works? You know how God reaches people in the schools? He takes people like Kyle, other teachers that we have. Right? Full-time ministers and disguises them as teachers. Now, I'm, I'm sort of getting ahead of myself here because we're going to get into this area of evangelism where we're actually going to kind of do a short series on witnessing and how to do that. You know, how to share your faith, and that's going to happen in a few weeks here. But the main purpose of this morning's message is to help you understand that God has given each of us unique gifts, and He expects us to use those gifts in service to Him in the context of the local church. And I'm telling you people, we need your help. We need some help. And don't think, well, I, you know, I can't do that. Yes, you can. God's just looking to see if someone's available, right? And if being a full-time minister intimidates you, if you're like, you know, I know I should witness more, but I just don't know how. Well, I'm, I, I would volunteer, but I don't feel qualified. I don't feel equipped. I don't feel... All the more reason to go to the next class or get plugged into a growth group. That will help you get equipped. Right? 
So, if you consider family church to be your church home, you're not helping or serving in some capacity, listen, this isn't something you need to pray about. Say, well, I'll pray about that, Pastor. No, 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 no. You don't need to pray about it. God's already called you. He's just looking for those that will make themselves available. He'll make you able. He just needs people that will make themselves available. Right? So, don't pray about it. This is something that you need to do. Everyone bow your head, please. Lord, I do, uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help bring understanding in this area about, you know, ministry and uh, serving in the local church and help us to understand, help us to view this from your perspective, God, that, you know, we don't, we don't feel like we need to be at a certain place, you know, mature, spiritually wise, or, you know, like we don't have the gifts to do that. No, 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 no. If we'll just make ourselves available, help us to understand that you'll equip us. If we're willing to be a servant, make ourselves available. If we're, if we're willing to just be a minister like you've called us all to be, then you can use us, and you do want to use us. And Lord knows we could use some help, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you would help people to wrap their minds around this, that they would be willing to trust you, take that step of faith. Say, okay, Lord, I, I don't, I don't see, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do it, but I'm going to trust that you take you at your word, that you'll give me the ability, you'll equip me if I'll just posture myself, do these things so that I can do what you've called me to do. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, that, that's really the first step. That's really the first step right there. If you've never taken that step, then I just want to lead you in a prayer. It's very simple. Say, Lord Jesus, I, I, I realize that you do have more for me. I, I, I'm, I'm beginning to see the large picture here. I really believe that there's something greater than me. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me learn to walk with you. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins and my selfish lifestyle. Come and live inside of my heart and help me to begin to live my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. And if you pray that prayer, then God will indeed begin to unfold His plan and purpose for you. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And if you prayed that prayer, what I'd like for you to do is, there's a card that Kyle referenced earlier on the back of the chair. There's a place on there that you can just check on there. It says, you know, I prayed to receive Jesus and drop it off at that next steps desk back there so we can follow up and help you in this new journey, this amazing journey. So Lord, I do pray, Father, that you would go with us now as we move forward, as we seek to be the church you've called us to be, the people that you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, to begin to trust you as you make us able ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your name. And everybody's